back to another edition of Gimlet's at Golden Hour. I'm Dan. And I'm Aubrey. And uh, today we're going to talk more about barbecue. Oh, yeah. So uh, maybe you can give me a breakdown of, uh, I guess, kind of what we got going on today and then um, just kind of your history with barbecue. Yeah. So today, as of right now, we have a pork shoulder on my smoker, which is a green egg. I was lucky enough to get it gifted to me from an uncle of mine. He was like, I don't know if I want to mess with this thing. So I was like, I will gladly take that off your hands. Uh, Part of the deal was, though, that I have to smoke meat for him every now and then, which I do, but I could probably do more. Uh, We made some cornbread, which is a recipe that I've kind of uh, adapted over trial and error, uh, mistakes, things that I've noticed that people in Illinois, at least central Illinois, like. I know uh, barbecue, uh, cornbread as well can be very regional. People put different ingredients in them. Some people say putting sugar in it, you know, that's a no-no. And some people, you know, what you use to cook it in. I know a lot of people that cook it in cast and that sort of thing. Uh, I made some coleslaw and then um, a uh, vinegar-based barbecue sauce. So we'll kind of get into the vinegar-based and where... That comes into play later. Uh, So I grew up, so uh, my family uh, has a, had a chicken farm down in Southern Illinois. So my grandpa was a chicken farmer and he was uh, very well known in throughout the area. Uh, He would throw these massive barbecues where he would, uh, it wasn't so, I I don't want to say barbecue. So to get somewhat technical uh barbecue is something that is cooked i guess you could say lower and slower there's there's so many debates on all of this stuff i could say uh but my, my grandpa would would use uh homemade charcoal that he would make and he would cook the chicken so at harless hatchery they would throw i think it's every year they would throw this barbecue and people would come from literally miles around and they would come and they would make these homemade pits with like steel and, uh, you know, people would line up. They would, I guess it's technically grill the chickens, uh, but it was homemade charcoal. It was um, no lighter fluid and they would use a vinegar based sauce is what it was known for. It was kind of different for the area and the time as far as I understand. So in Illinois, we're kind of a hodgepodge as far as barbecue comes. There's not like a set way. There's not a set like, you know, in Texas, it's beef and it's brisket. You know, Carolina's is, you know, pork. Illinois, we're kind of in between all of that. So we don't have like a set way of doing it. So it was a vinegar based barbecue sauce, which from everything I've been told by family members, my dad, my aunt, that um, it was very unique. So people would come from miles around to um, to taste the to get the harless homemade, charcoal, fresh plucked chickens, and he would just douse it in this vinegar sauce that I have the recipe for and I've, I use to this day on anything that I smoke. So That's awesome. Yeah. So it's, you know, a lot of, it, it really is a family tradition. And on my mom's side, my uncle Bill, he was all, you know, Shelbyville, Illinois. That's, that's where my, my family comes from. Um, he's very well known. He would do these massive barbecue events for the American Legion. So anytime I would go home or I, w- I would go to visit relatives down in Shelbyville, there was always something on a some kind of smoker, some kind of vessel that was being cooked. 
usually it was uh, chickens, but a lot of times it was um, and my uncle Bill would smoke ribs and brisket and do pulled pork. So growing up as a youngster, you know, you always kind of ask the questions. And as you get older, you, you know, you start to want to know, how do you do that? Or how do I get it to taste like that? So, so <clears throat> that's awesome. Uh, where does the cornbread come in? And how, how did, I guess, how did you perfect that over time? So cornbread was, I, I, so my, my dad moved out to North Carolina when I was a teenager. Um, and we would go out there, my brother and I would go visit him. And something that we would always like to do is we would, there's a barbecue, there's like a barbecue trail out there. So these old traditional places that do, you know, it's, you know, hardwood coals, one side of the state does pork shoulder, one side of the state does whole hog. And we would go to these places and I would try to sneak back into either the barbecue pit or the kitchen and, you know, talk to people as I got older and ask them questions. What do you do with this? So the cornbread kind of comes into a play of traditions that I've seen people do in North Carolina versus coming back here, the restaurants that I worked at, and just tweaking it. Uh, my, my cornbread that I make is a sweeter style. So according to what is traditional in North Carolina, that's kind of a no-no. They don't do a whole lot of sugar in it. So I do what's called a one-to-one-to-one ratio. So it's one cup of sugar, one cup of cornmeal, one cup of flour, and then one cup of buttermilk. That's kind of your standard ratio. Uh, It's something that I've just developed trial and error. I would make traditional cornbread. I don't want to say traditional. I would make cornbread like they did in North Carolina, and people in this area just didn't seem to like it as much because it didn't. It didn't have the sweetness. It didn't have the sweetness. <clears throat> yeah. So I like the sweetness, but I didn't want it to be overly sweet. So that's where the acidity from the buttermilk comes in. So I use the buttermilk to kind of counterbalance that, but yet you still get the sweetness from the sugar. That's awesome. Yeah. Growing up, I think we did uh, we did honey. Yeah. Uh, I haven't made cornbread in a while, but yeah, I, I remember. I remember we would make it with honey and buttermilk too. Um, kind of just. I don't know where that. I think it, I, we actually had a recipe book that that one came from. But yeah, that was always a fun one. I loved. I mean, you can't beat the smell of cornbread. No, <laughs> it smells pretty good in here. Yeah, it does smell really good in here. It's just uh, something about it. It's just uh, it's like homey. The the one so at Lexington Barbecue in North Carolina, the old lady that. I don't want to say it. the lady that was making the cornbread <laughs> back in their kitchen. <laughs> so they did hush puppies, but so a lot of times it was, it, it's a similar batter, but she was actually making cornbread one of the times that we went there and she would just, she looked at me and, and then these words will stick in my head. Don't overmix it. She just kept saying the mistake people make is they overmix it. They overmix it and it makes the texture kind of dense. Yeah. So that ever since I saw her and she's one of those, Bigger Southern, exactly what you think, a bigger Southern lady with this Southern accent. Don't overmix the cornbread. Like, she's over there just whipping up batches of cornbread. So the main thing that I've learned from, you know, making is not to overmix it. And that's the thing. If it comes out and the texture isn't right or it's dense and heavy, that means you overmix it. It kind of doesn't rise. Yeah. Yeah. And then... uh, Uh, you're using um, baking soda, right? Yep. A little bit of baking soda to get it to to do its thing. Yeah, that's it. And then salt, 
Now, what do you? What are your feelings on uh, like throwing jalapenos and cheese and all that? Where's? Do you know where that kind of comes from? Is that? I don't. My, I would guess that something had to do with chili and cornbread because that that makes more sense to me yeah. with chili and and. Listen, I've I've had incredible cornbread that's gone with barbecue that's had different ingredients in it, and that's that's the thing that's so hard about barbecue is it's so regional and people are so loyal to whatever their way is and the, and their way being right. What is like Texas toast and garlic bread and those sort? Yeah, no, I I don't know. Yeah, I because yeah, I don't know. We do we we I say we. I don't know. I guess we've kind of got, uh, <clears throat> at my house, uh, we've been doing, we use that nasty garlic bread, you know, the freezer stuff. Yeah. Oh man. Uh, we, we do that with a lot of different things now. So like chilies and different things, mostly cause it's easy. You pop yeah. it out. It takes like six minutes in the oven. Recently I actually smoked some. I was like, how'd it turn out? It was really good. It could it probably could have gone a little longer because it was still a little soft. Mm-hmm. Uh, not because we, we kind of like it crunchy, um, but yeah, it was, it was fun. <laughs> I so I don't I don't I'm if if I were to say I know more about anything, it, obviously because I've I've spent a lot of time down in North. It would be the the Carolina barbecue. So I don't I, I know that traditionally Texas brisket has always been served in almost like a on butcher paper with like a piece of white bread. Right. And then either the sausage or the brisket. Yeah. And that's how they've always done it. I don't, I don't remember that I've ever seen cornbread yeah, down in Texas not as much of a thing. Same with like greens, right? Yeah. Greens aren't much of a thing in Texas. I wonder if it's cause they don't grow there or what? I don't know. Uh, yeah, that's more of a Southern thing. Yeah. Like Louisiana. You, yeah. You, you get a lot more of that. That's where my girlfriend's from. So, we have a lot of similarities because I grew up in the Midwest, but there's also like, <clears throat> I guess greens uh, became more of a thing that I'm into now, uh, just with watching you know Netflix shows, documentaries, and different things, and then her having that tradition of of uh, eating a lot of collard greens, and um, one time we made I made dandelion greens. You make dandelion greens? Not that I know. They actually turned out pretty good. So, I I I, get, I think we both could probably say oh, we get bored with food, and yeah. so that's where experimenting or trying different things yes. or seeking out different ways different people do things. Um. So we had done the whole, you know, uh, Louisiana, or at least my girlfriend's um, family's experience with uh, food in Louisiana. So a lot of red beans and greens. Uh, and so I decided to go a little bit different route and do the black eyed peas yeah, and dandelion greens. Uh, that was fun. It was a good time. <laughs> so in, from what, from the experiences I had down in North Carolina, traditionally greens were cooked in a liquid. It's called pot liquor. Yeah. So it's like a, it's like a broth. that's usually flavored with like some kind of like ham hock or some that, some kind goodness, of smoked meat. Smoky, smoky goodness. And then they would cook them down in that. And then when when they would pick them up, like on the service line, a lot of times it was like vinegar and red pepper. So they would like cook the greens down. They would heat the greens up, and then they'd it'd be vinegar and then red pepper. So like chili flakes. Yeah. So it was. That's something I learned from a 
an old coworker was to like I, I didn't use vinegar in a lot of things unless like a recipe called for it, like a, a coleslaw or something yeah. like that. And a lot of times he would bring in food to share with everybody, and he'd be like, "Oh, I got my, I got my chili." And then he'd be like, "Let me hit it with a little apple cider vinegar." And I always thought I was like, "That seems gross. Why are you gonna put apple cider vinegar in your chili, man? Like that's just." And then like. I don't know. It melded, and I thought about it, and I try obviously tried it, and I'm like, "That's amazing!" Like, yeah. it's it's crazy what that would do. And I, I I guess I just didn't understand the reasoning for that at that time. But yeah, so vi- vinegar. Why why do we do vinegar? Well, why, well, why do you do you, you say just uh, to cut through some of the fat? So if if something's fatty or something is and rich, that's a Carolina it's, it's way. A, yeah. So in North Carolina, there's um, Eastern Carolina and there's Western Carolina. So Western Carolina, they do pork shoulders. They do a, a vinegar based sauce, but there's a, there's always a little bit of ketchup in it. And that's kind of one of the big differentiators. And then in the Eastern part of the state, it's like there's, it's vinegar, water, pepper, and salt. And that's like it. And they do whole hog. So the, the vinegar is, it, it's just like anything. It, it, you can look at it like a lime or a lemon, when you have something that needs brightened up or something that's really fatty, same thing with like a piece of fish that's fried. It's really fatty and rich. You just take that same thing. So that's that's kind of what it is to to the barbecue. That's awesome. Uh, so what, what do you what do you got uh, drinking on today? Uh, it's a noon whistle, hop prism turquoise IPA. What do you think? It's good. It lots of citrus. Yeah, big old citrus. Yeah, it's it's a it's a it's a boozy IPA. <laughs> no, it, it, I like it. It's clean. It's just it, it. It the flavors on it are light, so there is that there's the citrus notes to it. A little bit more bitterness too. Yeah. than I guess a lot of the stuff we've been drinking lately. But it, yeah, it's heavier, yeah. which is good. Um, I like it. What about you? Oh, I got a hams. <laughs> yes. It's uh, you know, nice, light, easy to drink. Basically, water. Yeah. But so when after, as I got older and like after I went, um, was getting, starting to get into, so this, so I started going through culinary school. This would have been 2008, 9, 10 ish. The Southern food revolution kind of started like Sean Brock's, you know, Lynn Hopkins, you know, John, I think it's John Besh, like all these Southern chefs kind of started to get recognition and, and Southern food kind of started to become a thing so that's that's kind of what i was alluding to earlier i guess like like that's that was a big inspiration for trying different things i was like oh wow like these guys are like doing it up you know yeah and and they they were you know paying attention to a lot of like the heirloom vegetables and the grains that grew in their area and they they, it was always weird because i remember when i was young young you know southern food it was like oh fried chicken it was like so basic that there was this whole like revolution about look, look at what happens in the South and you know, whiskey came along with that too. So as I was started going through culinary school and I would go visit, you know, my dad, we would, um, we would, like I said, we would tour these, we would drive all over. And so as I got older and kind of more, I don't want to say knowledgeable, but more confident in what I was doing, I would walk back into these barbecue pits and I would talk to these guys. And you know, it was a lot of times they were kind of surprised I mean, that someone was like, I was like, hey, you know, I, I would walk back there and be like, 
you know, what are you cooking and what temperature and how many do you do a day and what's your year? Like just kind of trying to start the dialogue with them and, you know, guys that were working, you know, back in barbecue pits, probably at the time were like, why is this guy asking me all these questions? Probably similar to how like in whiskey and like, like food in general, like Bobby Flay became, you know, you have celebrity chefs. I can't imagine that, you know, Michael Simon or Bobby Flay, like 15 years ago would have thought people would want to talk to me and want my autograph. Yeah. So I started, you know, I would talk to these guys a lot and just kind of pick their brain on what they're doing, temperatures and what they've noticed. And I mean, these guys are smoking, you know, thousands of pounds of meat at these famous barbecue places in North a week. So I would just sit there for 20, 30 minutes at a time and talk to them. And then I ended up one time talking to one of the guys. There's a place called Hillsboro Barbecue Company in Hillsboro, North Carolina. And so I, I my dad kind of knew the owner a little bit. So I was like, hey, I was like, let me come back and start working here. So I was down there visiting my dad. And I did what in restaurant terms is called like a stage. So it's like you basically go there, you learn, you work for free. So I was back in this barbecue pit making homemade charcoal with uh, – he was using post oak, I think it was. And just – back there learn you know talking to these guys and learning and watching so then i brought that knowledge back to illinois as i started to actually work in restaurants and we were doing barbecue nights at different restaurants that i worked at we were making our own bacon we were you know smoking ribs and doing pulled pork as the whole southern food movement became a thing so it was kind of cool all of a sudden to have pulled pork sliders on a menu so that's, you know, I, I would every week load load the smokers up that I worked at. And it, it really is like a, a, a I don't, it's an art. Like you learn the smoker that you're using and what works and different rubs and that sort of, you know, what, what kind of flavor profiles you want to shoot for. So it, it was definitely a, a long learning process. I bet. One of the things that I, I, <clears throat> I'm always curious about, I'll be watching, um, you know, something about barbecue or something. Well, it's such a long process, right? Yes. And I, I, I and I already kind of have an answer to my question. Um, but it's like, how do you even anticipate how much meat you're going to need 12, 16, you know, hours before, you know, it's not, it's not like cooking at home. Like, okay, I know, you know, the five of us are going to eat, you know, right. whatever it's, I wonder how many people are going to show up tonight. And, but you're doing that 16 hours ahead of time. And I mean, I think most restaurants, um, you know, would have trouble. And I get, I, I guess when I say I kind of have an answer, like I know a lot of places will run out. That's yep. But how do you like, I guess you just judge it off the previous day or the previous week or. Yeah. So eventually, I mean, most, so like some of their, there, so some of the places, um, I did not visit, but people that I talked to in like uh, literature that I read, like in Eastern North Carolina, they do whole hog. It's like they do three hogs at X amount, and when it's gone, That's it's it. gone. And they do that every single day. That's have you ever done a whole hog? I have not. I've never done a whole hog. That always seemed like such a crazy thing to me. Right? There are um, a couple people that I've you know that I've worked with that I know have done them. Like in, in previous stuff, not not at any of the restaurants that I worked, but and I mean they've I've, I think they've had pretty good success with it. So yeah, I've I've never done a whole hog. I've done a, a ton of shoulders, ton of ribs, and a ton of bellies for bacon, but never a whole hog. Um. So in how do you know? 
I guess. Is is smoke always a factor? What do you mean? In bar in barbecue, I yeah. guess. Yeah. Well, it, I I I think it's more indirect heat and time because yeah. I know in Memphis some of those places that do ribs they call it barbecue, but I don't. I think it's it's charcoal. Yeah. But it but it I I I, I, I want to say that technical term once again there's probably someone who's going to debate this but i think it's um indirect cooking for a long period of time and because i i think they call memphis the barbecue ribs but i don't think they use wood i think they use charcoal but i think it's indirectly for a long time hmm. how do you how do you choose wood i i like oak or hickory uh Every now and then, if I was sometimes when I was doing um, bellies, which are you know pork bellies to make bacon, so at some of the rest at the restaurants, I we would cure we would cure our own uh, salt cure our own meats, so we would you know cure them and then pull them out. Uh, I would use apple if we had it. We would uh, we just had suppliers that would just bring us truckloads of wood and just dump them and we just stack them up. Half the time we I mean. It was like he, they would just tell us, like, it's a mix. So we knew it was like oak hickory and maybe some kind of fruit. Uh, we used, we've got uh, maple from Funk's Grove before that we used. I bet that's pretty nice. Yeah, it was good. Super fun. And same thing. We, we Most of the maple and apple was just for bacon. Everything else, like the, the shoulders. And um, we, did, we, we did ham, which I guess we used apple before too. But most of the pork shoulder was hickory or oak. What goes into doing a ham? Does that have to like brine? Okay. So yeah, it's like a there's like a pink curing salt, sugar. It was like pink curing salt, brown sugar, salt. Some, there were some different kind. I can't remember. There were some different kind of herbs in there, but so we would have these eighteen quart cambros, which are like these massive restaurant style storage devices that we would you know make the liquid, put them in, and weighed them down with plates so that they would sit in there. And I think we did, we did, I was around a week for the hams. And then do they have to uh, age outside of that too? Some of them do. We didn't. We would go, I think we maybe a day or two, but we wouldn't like dry cure them or anything like that. I know there are people that would hang them and let them, let them, you know, sit there and permeate, I guess you could say. And, but we would not do that. We would just... Does fermentation play? It start coming into play when that happens? I, like when, I, they, <clears throat> when they hang them? Yeah. I guess that's more like a prosciutto kind of thing. Yeah. That's where that comes from, right? Yeah. I, and I, um, I I have known people in the restaurant industry to take, like, wine fridges so that they can control temperature and humidity and hang things, like, mm-hmm. take all the wine racks out and hang them in those so that they get the right temperature and humidity. Hey, honey, what you doing with the uh, $1,200 uh, wine fridge? <laughs> Nothing. Prosciutto. <laughs> Don't worry about it. <laughs> That's awesome. So uh, <clears throat> tell me about this woodpecker friend you have. <laughs> We've got a woodpecker here, and I, I'm all for nature, and I love <laughs> nature, but... uh. He's uh, coming around our house and kind of wrecking havoc, and I've tried to be nice to him as far as, you know, using some different things that I've read online that can get rid of him. 
today was my second time that I've taken a swing at him with a <laughs> with a broom unsuccessfully. So yeah, he just uh, he likes to ding at our house, and it's kind of annoying and it's frustrating. <laughs> but you know, maybe we can come to an agreement. Oh yeah. Um. So <clears throat> we we have been shooting a little video today. Yeah. So we're uh, gonna probably be posting um a YouTube later, maybe like an Instagram thing too. Um, on some cornbread making. Uh, so if you guys want, you can check that out. Follow us on Instagram, uh, Gimel Tech Goldman. There's also a YouTube, Gimel Tech Goldman. Surprise, surprise. Um, do you want to get into some movies? Yeah, we can do some whiskey. Cool. So what are we uh, what are we going to be pulling this week? Uh, this week we're going to go with a rye. So this is a four year uh, old Scout rye, uh, which is it says distilled in Indiana, which pretty much means it's MGP, and it's uh, bottled at cast strength, so it's it's a little bit hotter. Uh, like about 111 proof. So one of the my favorite rye is I, I love MGP rye I, I, I believe it's a 95% rye mash bill but it just it's got a lot of I call it like mint peppercorn that really that I really enjoy uh, you would think it was fall and it was supposed to be a little bit cooler which is when I drink more rye but I guess mother nature decided to throw us a curveball and it's 90 degrees 90 today and high winds yeah it's windy it smells incredible. Yeah, it's just so good. A little more sweetness than I normally get. There's definitely like once you taste it, you'll just you get it's like menthol mint mm-hmm. like right away. Which, as far as I as far as I like when I when I taste that, I'm sold, especially on a rye. And it's kind of got a it, it, it's a very thick mouth feel. It's creamy. Mm-hmm. Um, you definitely get a lot of vanilla on the mid palate, which for a rye can be something you don't always get. But this, I mean, wintergreen and menthol are the two main flavors that I get, which is why I like this pour so much. And a finish that just like goes on forever. Yeah. And it's crazy because, you know, a lot of times people, when they think whiskey, they think, oh, it has to be like super aged or has to be really old in order to be good. And the older, the better. But this is literally four year rye. And I would, you know, I would put this up against a lot of different ryes that were aged a lot longer and higher price points. These are, these, these are pretty affordable. I think they're like 50, maybe 60 bucks, but yeah, very good. What other, what other ryes, um, do you like besides like some of the MGP stuff? I like Old Forester rye. I think the rye that Old Forester has put out when they're available. You know, it, Old Forester rye was something that was always available, and then I know they've kind of, I'm sure, just with COVID and uh, different circumstances, aren't always available. But I, I like the Old Forester rye a lot, and it it was a hundred proof, but especially I think it was under thirty dollars. It's just such an incredible pour, uh, and it was always interesting because when you would blind it, um, a lot of times you would think it was a bourbon it didn't it didn't have those rye qualities but it was definitely a very very well constructed rye whiskey so that that's another one that i that i really like 
And there's the wild turkey with rye, but the 101 rye. That, that one's really good. Yeah. And it's affordable now. There for the longest time was a liter bottle for like forty some dollars. Yeah, forty four ninety nine. And now it's a seven fifty for twenty two. It's a lot better. I don't understand their pricing structure on that one, but <laughs> we'll have to reach out to someone on that one. <laughs> like, we was thinking originally, why is it so cheap now? So, what do you think? You like it? Yeah, it's really good. It's really easy to drink too. You could get yourself in trouble, especially considering it's hundred eleven proof. Yeah, and it doesn't it doesn't come off that high. Nope. It's just real real good. Like I said, the finish is incredible. Almost like a honey note to it. Or honeysuckle might be a better characteristic. So yeah. Smooth Ambler definitely is one of those um companies that they they I don't I'm, I don't know if they still they were at one point distilling their own distillate but they made a name for themselves sourcing and they knew they were really good at that and they've continued to do that and they do it very very well and once again their price point is something that always is very um, attractive as well yeah even you know they've done you know some five-year mgp bourbons and once again you're talking you know 50 60 bucks which at that price point it's just it's hard to beat what So kind of coming off the vein of like MGP and different things, uh, what what do you think about like a, um, a purveyor, uh, like say Barrel, who a lot of times we're talking like $80, $90, it's not only sourced, but it's blended. So you're talking like MGP probably, uh, Dickel probably. Um, I think they're uh, sourcing a little bit from Kentucky as well. From who, who knows, but so <clears throat> do you think a blended whiskey, not that's uh that's got, that's got a lot of loaded terminology. Uh, what am I trying to say? So it, they're blending all these whiskeys together mm-hmm. and then they're asking you to pay 80, 90, hundred bucks for it. Do you think that's okay? I The first thing I would ask people is, have they tried it? Because yeah. what they do at Barrel, they do it very, very well. Okay. It uh, most of the batches that I have have been incredible. Yeah. But at the ninety point price, what what they've done a what they've done a good job of doing is pricing it so that there isn't a secondary market for it. Uh, and and w- the as far as blending goes domestically and whiskey producers, they, I think they do it the best. So some of the, I mean, $90 sometimes is hard to pay for a whiskey, but I've yet to have one either, whether I've bought it or tried it where I've been like, Oh man, I wasn't happy. There are some that I've been like, I probably wouldn't pay that again, but nothing that I've been completely let down by. Which has happened numerous times on many numerous occasions with other whiskeys. So they, they, they blend whiskeys very well. That's awesome. Does it, do, do you think, uh, is there any, anybody else doing stuff like that? A lot Someone? of, I mean, um, uh, let's see, I'm trying to think of labels. So we got 
the Pursuit United, which was a newer one we've gotten in recently that I know has blended. Did you end up trying that one? Uh, I have not, no. Have you? I'm not. I almost I almost picked it up just to bring it over. I might have to do that. Yeah. No, I, I have not tried it. It's gotten it's gotten so much love and attention yeah. and um people are just going crazy for it. Yeah. Uh so that is that again. Is that MVP and Dickel? I, I don't know because I know some of it comes from New York, too, which oh, might be, I would guess, Finger Lakes Distilling, maybe. I don't know. Hmm. But they're one of the one of the outliers as far as on their label, it, it says New York. So I would be interested to see what distillery in New York was selling barrels. But so, you, know, you know what that reminds me of? Sorry. Uh, I, you remember those, uh, I think it was Pace Picante sauce? Uh-uh. It was uh like P A C E. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, I think it was that that brand. They used to have commercials back in the nineties, and <clears throat> it'd be like a bunch of cowboys sitting around a fire, and they get out this salsa or whatever, and uh, one of the one of the cowboys would grab it from from one of the other cowboys and go, "Where's this made?" And he looks at the back of the bottle and says, "New York City," and he goes, "New York City." That's pretty funny because one of my favorite hot sauces is called Texas Pete and it's made in North Carolina. So there you go. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty funny. Yeah. But I know. So the Pursuit United, was it, it's a, a podcast, the Bourbon Pursuit podcast. Oh, And they okay. have kind of created their own brand of whiskey. And I think that's one that they created to kind of distribute to different states. I didn't even realize. Yeah. That's pretty dope. It's kind of like a didn't didn't somebody buy a OKI or a, a, yeah I don't know who did but uh, I wonder if that's going to come back again it's supposed to yeah New Riff I think sold the New Riff has had it I think they sold the they rights. sold the rights to it and I don't know what it is or what they have New Riff's another great rye uh, especially if you can yeah. get the single barrel or barrel forgot food. about that yeah that is pretty good but. This is awesome. Yeah. There's so much good whiskey on the shelves, and that's something that I think definitely gets overlooked. And it can be, I don't want to say frustrating, but it just, there's there's a lot of people that look for specific names and specific brands. And, and I understand that, but yeah, there there is a lot, a lot of good whiskey that is available every day on your shelf. And the cool, the cool thing about it is uh, it's undiscovered. Yeah, you could discover it. Yeah, there's a the friend of friend of mine. He has I, I don't know. He was telling me a story about I don't know if he knows someone or if it's a friend of his. And it, it he this guy's like, man, I just love Dickel. And, and this buddy of mine is like, the world is your oyster. Yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> I mean, super cool. You never know. Yeah. If if you if you just read reviews and don't do your own, you know, I, I, research. I guess it would be just you got to try things. There's, there's so much good whiskey out there. And sometimes you just, you, you don't know. I've been, uh, not, not so much with whiskey, but I've been kind of going down this gin rabbit hole. Yeah. Uh, I've been buying a bunch of different gins. There's, there's a lot of gin now too. Uh, I think that category is kind of blown up recently. Like there was, there was a decent amount of gins before, but now it's just like everybody's coming out or there's like. I guess they're building on a lot of different gins. Um, 
citrus is coming more into play. That's it. I personally am more of a citrus person. Yeah. Um, Japanese uh, gen uh, Roku. Roku's one of my favorites now. Like I, I buy a lot, <clears throat> and it 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 utilizes tea. Um, there was another. I want to say few. Few does a breakfast gin, and that one is also made with tea. I don't know what it is about tea, but I really like it in gin. So, does the tea impart like a bitter note, or what? What does it? What does the tea? What What do you think the tea brings to the equation? Like, it's going to sound weird, but almost like dryness. Yeah, and then like, um, almost like an herbaly quality too, um, and. Sometimes a little bit of floral, and I, I, I think the the best part about it being there is that um, tea craves citrus, right? Yeah, and so those those gins that incorporate that tea for whatever reason do so well with citrus. So uh, I think we talked about a little bit last week, like uh, lime and yuzu fever tree. Yeah, um, that's a good one. Uh, when we were Playing with the few breakfast tea, I was making uh, grapefruit gimlets. So we would take we would take the few uh, breakfast blend, and then we would infuse it with lavender, and then we would take that and add grapefruit and lime and make grapefruit gimlets. Yes. What are we having tonight, Dan? <laughs> gimlets. Yes. But yeah. Thanks for sharing this. Yeah, no problem. Like I said, there's there's plenty of really, really good stuff out there. You just got to gotta try it. Seek it out. Yeah. Well, thanks, folks, for joining us for another Gimlets at Golden Hour. I'm Dan. And I'm Aubrey. Have a good week.